Given the choice, would you always choose life over death? Welcome to episode 3 of It's Miles Again. I'm Miles, and here's a drink for all the tough times, the long and tearful nights, the bumpy roads, the long road trips, the starry skies, the beautiful sunsets and sunrises, the pride and accomplishment, the embarrassment and mistakes you'll have to live with, the fear of falling in love, the joy of falling in love, the heartbreaks, the newfound friends, the newly found long lost friends and meeting new people, but most especially the excitement of tomorrow. Here's a drink to coming into your own, and here's a drink to life. Today, about 322 million people in the world suffer from depression, making it the primary cause of disability throughout the world. And in most cases, women are twice as likely to be affected than men. Every year, around 800,000 die as a result of suicide. A friend of mine continues to live with a piece of lead in his head and was nice enough to share his story even when I asked the difficult questions, such as what was happening when he decided to pull the plug, what he did after, and how this changed his perspective of life today. This is part one of the mini-series called Surviving. They watched Tyler's house. One character committed suicide. That's why when you opened it up, I was also thinking about that. It's like watching her. You can already feel that she was not okay. You could already smell it in the air that she was going through something. And the people didn't know what it was. I already had an idea while watching. But, you know, I was just watching. It's not like I knew her. You know what I mean? It was also surprising because it happened. But it was one of those things... And you know how being depressed is like constantly seeing rainy days even though the sun is out. For me, it was it was like that. It was miserable all throughout. Some days it was okay and manageable. It was like a teapot. It's like a boiling teapot. Sometimes you will see the smoke and it will whistle. But sometimes it could just be a rolling boil inside. That was it. You wouldn't even see the sun. I was already, by then, tired of everything. So in high school, a car hit me. It was one of those moments that I decided that, oh yeah, I'll just take this one day, one year at a time then. Like at the end of high school, I was already set. I didn't want to live anymore. My mindset was just that. Everything's gonna be fucked up. I was in school, university. I was wasting my time, not knowing what I wanted. It's always self-critical, conscious. I always kept thinking at night. At a time when many people were planning what's next for their lives, I was set to end mine then. I saw no value in moving on. I had already decided by then that I'll just be giving myself a year. It was like a self-imposed temporary permit that expires each year. Then after a year, you would reassess your situation. I know now, obviously, that that was not a normal way of thinking. Planning for it, like a yearly rent. Back then, perhaps it was was normal for me. It was the rainy day. That was really depression because it's really suicide. You know, waking up now, you're still back. I always thought then that it was depressing, but I also thought it was luck. And since we're already there, I thought, fine, let's not do it again. It's like, people already know that I wanted to off myself. Did I find remorse? Not necessarily, because me weaning myself out of the rut that I was in was an everyday struggle. 
there's this book by Stephen King called Lizzie's Story. It talks about how do we bury the dead? How do we let go of the dead? Of the person who dies in our life? And the novel says, death is not like turning off a switch and it's all gone. Death is more like turning off the switch every day until one day you don't even notice that you're turning off the switch. It's literally like dying every day. That's how you mourn your dead. Like if someone you love dies today, you will mourn that person every single day after that person is gone. And for me, it was that way too. Every single day was uh, me mourning about failing. It's like, that was the plan. That was the plan. There was no tomorrow after that day. You know what I mean? And then I was like, you already crossed the threshold and then you're still here. So it was a constant battle every day. That's why in that sense, I've always thought of for that year, I was burying the old me. That's why it's true. construct in my head that there's a different person. And that different person buried that person, the other person, for a year. There's a birthday that I celebrate. It's not full black and white, yung shift. Niya. It was like around a year of meeting with doctors. Back then, the, the primary concern was for me not to do it again. The psychiatrist was trying to map out my activities, like what my daily routine was, my weekly routine, my monthly routine. What are you doing now? What are your interests now? Have your interests changed? I knew that what he was giving me was helping, but I also feel like the psychologist makes everything clearer to actually dredge up the things that cost, etc, etc. And for like two to three years, uh, I kept a journal. It wasn't a journal of my feelings. It was just literally what I ate today. What did I do? Really boring journal of what happened. And at the end of that, I would write yes or no. Like, it just literally meant whether or not I felt happy or sad. So I finished, like, three or two moleskins. The first moleskin was all no. No, 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 no. And then slowly it became no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then it became yes, 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 no, yes, 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 yes. Until the last moleskin, it was just all yes. And that's when I stopped journaling it. It's also around the same time when I voluntarily stopped seeing the doctors. Because that's when I knew that I was better. I, I actually had a scientific journal. If I could find those notebooks now, I can plot it. I can write a graph of the trajectory of it. I got that idea because the doctors just literally write in their paper what I I said I would just write what I would probably tell my doctor it's not as much as what I felt because what you felt was sometimes just noted right what what literally is written or how you described your activities and that's what I did on myself I ate this I ate that I disliked eating this I disliked going here but I had to go. It's not really, I was so sad, la, 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 la. There wasn't even a rant in there or anything remotely resembling a tweet. You know what I mean? Or a caption or a status in Facebook or whatever. It was literally just uh, a log of what you did. And then, yes or no. And that was it for, for three years. And then it became all yes. For a year, a year and a half, my life was at pause. I only returned to school when everything was normal. My friends knew because I always told them. I always told them that this was the plan and this is how it's gonna happen. There was no specific date. There are some friends that I lost, but primarily because I had to change everything. I had to stop school. By the mere fact that I stopped for two years means I had less interaction with other people. I was picking myself up and seeing the doctors. I would think it's normal. It's part of life. People move on. Not everyone will hold your hand forever. Some friends held my hand for one and a half. 
have here and I'm thankful for them. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be here without them. The support that family and friends and even the people that don't know about it, it's really the social structure and your intrinsic notion that you'd want to be better. Three years ago, I touched base with my psychologist on my own volition. I, I have just finished school then. That was around the same time you returned from France. Around that time, I felt like I had an accomplishment, I guess, that I was like five, six years on. I was still alive. Me looking back at it, it's like it's a detached state. The person that's what, nine years old now, me, it's not the same as the one who passed away that night. The way I process that is like, the person that left that night is not the same person that woke up the next morning. The me now is more sociable, I would think. But also, I have a better tolerance for difficult interactions. The reason why I can say that I'm more confident that I will not relapse is because that person is a part of me and is me, but that person no longer lives with me. I was reading a lot because I was trying to rationalize it. Like, some people find religion in moments like this. I am not that person. It was exactly the opposite of it. I lost religion because of this. I found more meaning in living this life by by reading anything that would distract me. It was more really like focus on something, rationalize about it, finding meaning. It was literally me building my belief system, how I'd like to see the world. Since I've had this worldview, this belief, this lifestyle, I'm less attached to it. If you really think about the philosophy of Albert Camus, it's not really just existentialism. It's really absurdism. Realizing that you're in an absurd situation and learning how to accept it. The myth of Sisyphus is, I think, the perfect one, right? The, the guy who's pushing the boulder. It was a punishment for having a pointless life. So Sisyphus was asked to push a boulder up a hill and then the boulder will roll down and then he has to go back down and push the boulder back up again. That was the punishment. Now, Camus says, imagine that happening and imagine Sisyphus smiling, knowing that that is happening. You can find meaning in Sisyphus's act of pushing the boulder in his life. That defines, to some extent, the value of life. The search for happiness, even though it might seem pointless in a place where bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. He also said something about one logical extension of knowing that life might have no meaningful value is suicide. And Camus also pointed out how it was an awful decision because it makes your life even more absurd. Kasi wala nang value. Tinanggalan mo pa completely ng value yung buhay mo because you just did it. You just off yourself. That's it. You must face the absurd which means embracing all parts of it. Like even the crazy parts of it. Even the things that make you sad about it. Even if you get a fucking stormy day, just smile about it. It's part of everyday life. The meaning of life therefore is derived by how you live every day, being passionate about every single day. And I think there's a quiet beauty in that, and quiet happiness in that, knowing every day defines how you should see your life and not necessarily by its ends, by its goal, by any religious meaning of an afterlife. When before I could only just see the rain, I can now focus on other things like the dogs around, the, the bugs, I only notice the rain when it rains, right? And me not noticing or, or minding that it's raining makes me notice the, the surrounding. 
it doesn't make me dwell anymore. I don't lose sleep over it if I have a problem. I can put it in a proper library, a shelf in my mind. I can check on it later, but it won't bother me the whole day. Yeah, I guess the reason why I don't have episodes anymore is also because I think of it that way now. It's something that I learned to love and embrace as part of life. It's also the support of my family and my friends that brought me here. It's really a combination of a lot of things. It's not just me doing it and me moving forward from it. It's your internal compass, the trajectory that you have because your friends are helping you, your family to helping you. It's journaling, it's the routine, it's the dying every day. It's literally the pleasures of life, being with your friends being with your family, living for every day. There was a time, maybe it was around four years ago, when there was a really large flood. It wasn't a storm, it wasn't even a typhoon. It was an ending rain. I was stuck for a good six hours in Skyway, but it was five years to that day. So instead of most people who were like super pissed and posting videos of how angry they were stuck in traffic, I was thinking back then, five years ago to that day, I was infinitely sadder and angrier than the most that I was stuck in traffic. Infinitely sadder and angrier that I was willing to off myself and screw everyone. But it felt like walking on clouds. So I guess that's how I see the, the progress that has been made eight years to the day of my rebirth. Thank you for listening to part one of the mini-series about surviving. Next time, we'll see another side of the coin as we hear about another survivor story. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share your thoughts or feedback on Instagram at milesasksagain. But more importantly, always be kind.